I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. David Pelly joins me now. He recently published a new book, The Ancestors Are Happy, True Tales of the Arctic. It is a collection of personal tales as well as from uh, the Inuit themselves, whose lives uh, all told span the 20th century. These are elders that Pelly met and befriended uh, over the many years uh, living in, traveling through, and learning in Nunavut. It's such an engaging book because David is an engaged listener. He learns from his friends who tell the stories that they were told and that were passed down generations. The book also provides insight as to what life is like in the North. It's cold and challenging, but the people offer warmth and camaraderie, whether it's over a cup of tea or as they battle the elements traveling from one place to another. This brings up another point in the book that I asked David about, and that's what we can learn from the people up there and their sense of direction. I found it fascinating to contrast that with our own down here in the South. Royalties of the book are going to uh, be donated to the uh, Ialik Foundation, an organization that David and his wife Lori founded to provide opportunities to Inuit youth for outdoor adventure and social-cultural exploration. David F. Pelly is uh, a writer, researcher, historian, and photographer. He's written extensively about the North in books and for magazine articles. Visit davidpelly.com for information about his life and work. This new book is uh, from Crossfield Publishing. He joined me this past weekend from his home in a small town in Quebec, just uh, north of the Ottawa River, east of the Gatineau River. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, David Pelly. Mr. Pelly, good morning. Good morning to you, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the book uh, a great deal. I understand that uh, royalties will be donated to the um, Iolic Foundation. Let's start there because um, it's an organization that, that I've been reading about it as I've been preparing for a chat, and um, it, it's a it's one that you founded. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Uh, we've been in operation now for six years, and over that time have... Uh, provided uh, what we think of as being adventures or expeditions for young Inuit from Nunavut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're, we've just recently uh, passed the milestone of 100 uh, youth that have, have benefited from this program. So we're, we're quite pleased with that. Has, has this continued even during the pandemic? Uh, yes, last summer and probably this summer, we were unable to bring uh, youth down south for mm-hmm. various programs. And, right. you know, if, you've, if you've read about it, you'll see that uh, uh, these youth have, have gone sea kayaking mm-hmm. and Clay Sound and uh, sailing tall ships in uh, the Great Lakes and the East Coast and you know, trekking in the Rocky Mountains and canoeing in various parts of the country. So that, you know, they're part of the experience is the, uh, is the travel and opening their their horizons, mm-hmm. uh, which means coming down down south, and for most of them for the very first time, and uh, so we were unable to do that last summer. I expect we will not be able to do it this summer safely. Mm-hmm. But last summer and this summer, we are man- we did manage, and we will be managing to uh, uh, put together some canoe trips in the Northwest Territories, so the mm-hmm. adjacent territory to Nunavut. Uh, and the, the, uh, the virus has been sufficiently controlled uh-huh. in the north that it's safe to travel between the territories. So we, we anticipate this summer, as last 
last year that we'll be able to uh, bring a number of youth from the communities of Ridwood uh-huh. down yeah. to Yellow Nice and from there out on into the uh, uh, the wilderness for for some extensive canoe trips. When you set out to, to write this book, I mean, this, some of the pieces, I guess, had, had appeared elsewhere. Is that right? Uh, in some form or yeah. other, yes. So when, when you're putting a book like this together, writing it as, as well, mm-hmm. what do you want in it? I mean, it, 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 uh, having finished it, I mean, it seems like it's, it's come together beautifully. Um, and, um, you know, we have a great variety of stories in the sort. But um, as the writer, I mean, did you want it to, to mean something as well as with, regard, with regards to your own career? Well, not so much my career. I don't view that as being very important. Uh, but I, I've learned as a result of my interactions with Inuit, which have been extensive, and my time spent on the land up north, I've, I've learned that, that there is a, a particular perception of the land uh, in the tradition of the Inuit culture, and even though I can't myself share in that uh, in that connection, I, I feel like I've had enough exposure to uh, uh, to to begin to to understand it. And I have my you know I have my own personal connection to the land, having done a lot of canoeing in the Barren Lands and in lots of different uh, corners of the north and. Uh, that I think that also gives me a, a lens for looking at the uh, at the Inuit connection to the land. So what I wanted to do in this book is celebrate the land as uh, as I think Inuit see the land, which is that it's it, it is a place of story. It's I, I, I it's somewhere in the book I refer to it as a tapestry. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that I think that Inuit perceive the land as uh, a whole network of, of travel lines and stories. That's the other fascinating thing, um, the perspective that the Inuit have uh, with regards to even even something like direction, which, which um, I asked you before we started what uh, town you're in, um, because I was going to look it up on, on Google Maps later. Um, it's a very top-down uh, view of things. Even even if I'm thinking of going somewhere later, and I need a map to, to uh, pull up a map on my phone to to get directions, um, it's it's a even though I'm going, you know, north, south, east, west, mm-hmm. in a line, uh, horizontally, if you will. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking about it, looking down. That's right. But 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 you you, you there's a, there's a the part in the book there where you talk about about how they view the land itself and and, and direction and and the sort. Would you speak to that? Because I just found that just delightful to read. Well, thanks. I, I think it's it is fundamental to uh, to the kind of theme that underlies the book, and so I, I appreciate you highlighting it. Uh, whereas what you just described. Uh, it, in, in terms of our way of seeing the land, I, I refer to it in the book as, as an aerial. In other words, we're, yeah. we, we, as you just said, we, we tend to think of the land as what we would see if we could 
rise up above it and look down at it. Right? We in the south, I would like to be. We in the south, yeah. you and me, you yeah, and me. That and distinction, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's what I mean. So th- that would be our uh, kind of default way of viewing the land. Whereas in the Inuit tradition, the default way of thinking of the land is as the travel route that you are engaged in at, at this time or you intend to, uh, to follow in the future. I mean, I, 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 have, I had an experience that illustrates that I was about to travel several hundred miles by dog team with an Inuit friend, and I had brought all the topple maps. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so the night before we were going to leave from his, his uh, town, uh, I said, should we get the maps out and have a look? And he sort of looked at me as if he couldn't understand where I was coming from. Why would we want to do that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but so that, that right there underlines the difference in perception of our intended travel. And then what we did that evening was we went to visit his father-in-law, who was a very highly regarded, uh, respected elder in town, and just to tell him that, uh, the, for my friend, to, to tell his father-in-law where he was, he was intending to go. I, I'm, you know, I'm going from this village to this village. And the father-in-law just started talking, and he told a story of the journey of the route that we were going to follow. And mm-hmm. he told the stories of all the places we would pass along the way and what had happened there and what he remembered about it himself and what he knew others before him had had uh, happened along that, that route. And it, this took a couple of hours, and it was just storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of it, as we were walking uh, back to my friend's house, he said, okay, well, now we know our route. That, that's all we need, because I'll recognize all those places along the way. He'd never been there before, but he, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll recognize them when I hear when I see them because I know the story. It, I mean, it, it, to, it, to you and me, that's staggering, right? Yeah, it, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a, I, I'm reminded of when I first read that um, how moved I was, and then I'm moved again. Um, the North is part of your your own heritage too, I guess. I mean, your your, your family story, generations previous have gone there, right? Well, uh, you're referring to the fact, I presume, that uh, the name Pelly appears on on the northern map, uh, and that's true. But those place names were put there by various British explorers uh, who typically scattered names all across the north uh-huh. of their sponsors back in England, one of whom was my great-great-great-grandfather, who was governor of the Hudson Bay Company. So the, the, uh, the traders and explorers that were working on behalf of the Hudson Bay Company in the middle of the 19th century, uh, they sprinkled his name all over the place. He himself was never there. I see, I see. Um, but um, the connection that you, you've, you've um, felt, that you've experienced, obviously is there, I mean, in your travels over 40 years or so. Um, was the relationship that you had or the, the um, I don't know how to put this, um, just the connection that you've had with, with, with the North, was that for even early on, your first time there that, that you felt that? Well, I went to the North in the late 70s, simply as a recreational canoeist, you know, as somebody who'd grown up in Ontario as a young man, uh-huh. and I wanted a, you know, a more ch- 
challenging canoe trip, a bigger venture, and for myself with three friends, uh, we planned a canoe trip uh, in the far north. And at the time, it had nothing to do with any culture. It didn't even cross our minds. We were just looking for something more exciting than Algonquin Park or Tamagabe, uh-huh. where we had done lots and lots of canoes. So that's what took me there that first time. And the land itself kind of got under my skin on that trip. It was a tough trip for us. We were ill-prepared for it, to uh-huh. be frank, uh, and, you know, for what we were going to face in terms of the conditions. But I, I was fascinated by the landscape and the wildlife. And so I wanted to go back. The other three had no interest in going back, but I did, and I immediately set about making plans for future trips. And one of shortly thereafter, the, the next big trip was on a, a different river which flowed into the lake where the community of Baker Lake or Kamenitschak uh, is situated and was then. And uh, that river, that summer paddling of the 52-day canoe trip, so it was, it was, it was quite a long trip, uh, it tr- took us through land that had been occupied as recently as... Uh, 15 years before we were there mm-hmm. by Inuit living on the land. So we, by the time we arrived in that community, we were we felt almost as if we hadn't met the people because we'd just been at all their archaeological sites that were only, you know, they were so fresh. It was very evident to us that people had lived there uh, for a long time before we'd been there, but as recently as that. And so when we got to that community, I was, I was already tuned in to the fact that this land uh, had a close connection to people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I immediately uh, started making contacts in the village and was very well received. Fortunately, I met people who, people who are to this day some of my closer friends. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, that, was, that was really the beginning of the connection to the cultural aspect of the North. And uh, I owe it to various people in, in the community of Kamenichuak. See, yeah, my my question was about the land, but then you know I I, I failed to to, to um, I, well I realize now in your answer that the land and the people, especially there, are one and the same. That's that's you've hit the uh, the central uh, core of of this book is that the land. There's a, there was an elder whom I quote in the book who said to me that we are tied up in the land. He effectively said, "It is us." Mm. That is why the yeah. ancestors are happy because the land, the stories of the land, are their stories, and when the, when those stories are told, it makes them happy. You know, that's, that's the underlying theme. Uh, on on a just a superficial level, if you will, when I read the book and 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 see the the connection, the friendships that you've you've um, cultivated over the years, and and. Um, the, the, uh, there's a blurb uh, with regards to your book that you write about the North with respect and clarity. Um, that, that's got to come from the people themselves and, and, and their uh, willingness, I guess, to trust you and, and share their stories with you. Um, what have you found in terms of just connecting with people that I, that I think people listening to this who haven't read the book yet will find useful, um, interesting, um, with regards to when you meet people that are, that are different than you, um, how do you get them to trust you as you have? I think it's a matter of thinking it very clear that you are open to to them personally and to their 
their culture, their ways, whatever they might be. Uh, and that was easy for me because I was so curious about, mm. about that culture. And, and uh, furthermore, the, the Inuit are very warm and welcoming and kind people, I mean, generally speaking. So it's actually quite easy to, uh, to gain acceptance. Uh, and particularly so, uh, what is it, I mean, 40 years ago when I... Yeah. You know, like, it, it, you know, it was early, early days for this kind of interaction to be going uh-huh. occurring. So uh, it, it, it wasn't a big challenge. It, I, I didn't have any superpower, that's for sure. It's it, it just a matter of being as open as, as indeed the people themselves are by nature. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, the, the, you reveal um, through your writing, obviously, so much about them. But then, you know, as I think about it, it's them really just opening up to you and and, yep. and sharing their experiences, um, the good and the bad. Um, just so, um, I was going to say honestly, but I mean, the, 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 that's like a silly word when you think about it. Just so. Well, they are, they are. They're open and frank. Yeah. That's right. Frank. Is a, and that's I a wonderful that, word, yeah. I think that the, the other factor that was at play here is that when I was interviewing elders in the 1980s, say, uh, those people were born around the time of the First World War, mm. I mean, about which they knew nothing. Right? I mean, yeah. They were living on the land in, in more or less the traditional way. Even the Hudson Bay Company post had not arrived in this land yet. So they, you know, these people came from a time where they were living the traditional Inuit life. And they knew, they could see the rapid change that was happening all around them. Their, their, their grandchildren were going to schools, and you know, the television arrived in, in the North in 1975, and, and, and so on. I mean, this was all happening in the, in the span of, the, of one lifetime for these elders. And it was a matter of some urgency as a result them yeah. to get their history, their stories documented. I had no trouble finding people who, who were eager to speak <laughs> on tape uh-huh. because they, they really wanted that to be uh, uh, recorded and, and preserved you know, for, for their own, for, for posterity, not, not, not because of any selfish motive, but because sure. they understood that this had to be documented for future generations. Yeah, and then you shine a light, obviously, as you do in the book throughout, the importance of oral history and how obviously more valuable at times it can be than other forms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and the elders themselves felt that and knew that. You mentioned in the book, you talk about myth and reality, and um, one wonders, are, are, are they parallel, and at what point do they meet, say, in confluence? Well, yes, that you, you're, you're addressing a particular point that I've, I have made in, in some of my other writing, too, where with some of these stories, and there are some very dramatic ones, yeah. where, where myth and reality seem to merge. 
one wonderful elder that I spent lots and lots of time with and knew the family very well and they were very close friends and she passed away 10 years ago but uh, I, on one occasion I spent a week camped uh, out on the land in, in the area where she had grown up as a, as a child and she told story after story after story during that week and uh, one of those stories it took her two days to tell with her, her daughter who was more or less my age mm. uh, in, interpreting for her and helping her um, and helping me uh, it was a very long story, very convoluted, and full of all kinds of, of uh, rather difficult to believe details from from through our cultural lens, yours, yours and mine. But at the end of but but I remained open and just documented it, and then at the end of uh, of this two day storytelling, she leaned over to me and put her hand on my on my arm and looked me straight in the eye and said. This is not a legend. This is the truth. I told you this story with the same words that my grandmother told me. And you, you, you cannot but believe her. Yeah. It must be true. It must be so. Yeah, yeah. But for sure, uh, in that, you know, in the expanded version of that little story, uh, you see myth and reality come together in, in various ways. Yeah, it's, it, I'm, 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 uh, I'm almost bereft of words. I mean, because I remember reading that a, you know, a few days ago, and uh, t- took my breath away then, as it does now. Um, how does uh, um, the experience with oral history, uh, listening to it, taking it down as, as you have over the years, how has that influenced your own writing? Well, I, I think you would agree that I pretty much remove myself from, from what I'm writing about. Um, so I, because I want to present uh, legitimately and honestly and, uh, and without external uh, influences, I, I want to uh, present the, the stories that have been with me, sort of as unfiltered by my mm-hmm. own biases as possible. So I, I think that would be an influence on my writing. Uh, I'm not certain what else to add to that. If, if one said that you had a gift for storytelling yourself, um, where, how, where, where, what would you chalk that up to? Well, only uh, that I have been given that gift by, by the interviewing elders who shared their stories with me. And you know, interestingly, the, the very first uh, kind of exercise in, in oral history collection that I did was in that first community that I mentioned, coming to track particularly, uh, where uh, a woman who's 20 years my senior, uh, with, and I'd become good friends with she and her, with, uh, her, and her husband, uh, and she wanted to work on a project to collect uh, Stories and illustrate them with her own drawings, and we did that. We did the book that was published in 1986, but but she was the one who drove that project, and she said, "What we will do is, I'll get uh, one or two elders to come and sit at the kitchen table here with us and and have tea and and get them to talk about some subject, and you will write it down. <laughs> and here's how you'll do it. 
And so she, in effect, she taught me how to collect oral history and, and, and how to be respectful, I guess, and, and uh, how, to, how to penetrate the first layer of the story and get, get uh, into the, the deeper significance that, that lies below. Uh, so uh, she's still alive. She's 80, uh-huh. 80 in her late 80s now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I had a tremendous debt to both her and her husband, but in, in this particular capacity to her for, for teaching me how to do that. And that launched, that, first of all, triggered my fascination. Uh, and, and secondly, you know, launch my, my career as a oral history gatherer. Yeah. By the way, um, you mentioned uh, tea. Um, it, it, throughout the book, as you're sitting down with, with, with folks, you're, you're, you're imbibing tea. It is the, it is the rule. Yeah. yeah. What kind of tea do you like? The, well, what kind I like is, is not, not, not the point. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, Today, the uh, the tea of choice for Inuit all across Nunavut, I would say, is red rose. Oh. There you go. It's very straightforward. Yeah. And it, it probably uh, goes back to the black tea leaves mm. in a can mm-hmm. that were first introduced to the Inuit by, uh, by the traders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned um, in one part of the book... Um, Having a, a sensory awareness. Um, what is well, that? Inuit, a, to me, but, but Inuit having a sensory. Yeah, awareness. yeah, and 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 so I mean, how do you explain that? I mean, um, is that something that that you might have as well? Well, I would hope that over the years of being on the land, particularly with Inuit, that I might have developed uh, an element of it, but uh, I will never be their match. And I think the answer to your question of where, the implied question of where did this come from is it came from uh, the survival instinct. If, if you are going to survive in, in the Arctic environment, uh, you have to be tuned in to the, uh, with your, your, all of your senses to what's happening around you. And, uh, and they, they simply are. I mean, they know what's about to happen with the weather. Uh, I've traveled across ice where suddenly uh, the Inuk that I was with has pulled up and, and, and stopped and pointed ahead and said, the ice is too thin, we can't go across that, we have to go around. I mean, uh, you know, had I been alone, I would have just driven straight. Sure, into, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, on and on goes that story. And Inuit children traditionally were, when they woke up, when the family woke up inside the igloo in the morning, the first thing that happened was one of the young children was sent outside just to look around and come back in and report on what they what they saw and that was to teach children right from a very early age that they had to remain aware of what was happening in the environment around them huh. yeah, it's just so, yeah they're, they're very yeah. tuned in it's just fascinating. You mentioned the young, and I think this is a a good place to talk about the future. Um, yeah, you know, you, you, a lot of these oral histories you've you've taken from older people, mm-hmm. older than you, obviously, and 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 uh, as well as people your age. Yes. Well, what does a young person there now um, feel? I mean, do, do they feel like their future is, is, will be like those of their ancestors? Say. No, I think that uh, the 
broad population today understands that they are part of the, the, the transition, and they're the result of the transition. They, and, and people typically live in, in quite nice, you know, reasonable houses, although there is a, an overcrowding issue. Not, you know, that's a sort of separate tangent we could go on down, but, you know, there, there are houses that are equipped with furnaces and refrigerators and color TVs, and, and most communities have pretty good internet service and, and so on. So they're, they're living in, our uh, modern world, is, and and there's no desire among the, the current generations to go back in time and, and live the way their ancestors did. The same as you probably do not want to uh, eschew all your uh, the facilities that you have in modern life and go back to live as your great great grand yeah. grandparents did, yeah. um, drive around by horse and carriage. So. There, there's no desire to, to go backward. There are, there are lots of, of Vietnamese who have, uh, modern Vietnamese who have tremendous respect for the traditions of their elders, for sure. So that's very alive. And I would say that uh, it is very important to lots of people to try to preserve uh, the connection to the land and awareness of the land and the skills required for travel on the land and, and hunting for the traditional foods. Mm-hmm. So that kind of cultural aspect is, is, uh, is being preserved by the, by the current generation. Yeah, I, I guess I, I wonder, I mean, you know, some of the older people that you talk to, um, you know, n- new life as it were, um, from their own ancestors, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I feel about the, the fact that that, um, as you, you mentioned at the outset, that this is a transition. Well, you can't turn it back. You can't undo it. Uh, so people had had best uh, learn to accommodate. I, I think is is the, the simple reality. I mean, you're right that the elders that I was very fortunate to interact with in the 80s and into the 90s. Uh, they, they were kind of the last surviving uh, uh, you know, generation of, of uh, people who represented the old way, the, the, the way that life had been prior to the arrival of a white man. Uh, and they knew that. Yeah. And I certainly knew it. Do, do they look? I mean, we looked at the north as, as um, those of us in the south. We looked at the north as, as um, you know, um, I don't know how to say this, um, sort of, you know, um, the wilderness, if you will, or, or um, right. that which is um, unknowable, even. Mm-hmm. How do they view the south, people up there? <laughs> well, they, you know, the first introduction to the south for many, many years was what they saw on television.
racing all over the city streets in cars and, and doing uh, barrel rolls out of their car with their guns firing. And yeah. This is her image of what it was going to be like. So she, <laughs> she wanted my reassurance that, that I was going to keep them safe. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a little bit of a joke, but yeah. it just shows you how the perception of, of life on was, was influenced. But, I mean, you know, generally speaking today, uh, people have uh, a much more sophisticated understanding of, of what's going on in the rest of the world. I mean, they, they're tuned into the Internet and, and multi-channel TV just like we are. And, uh, and you can have very interesting, serious conversations about world affairs with people. So there isn't that naive uh, perception yeah, yeah. anymore. Um, and, and lots of Inuit like to come down south, uh, uh-huh. but most don't want to move down south. You know, it's sort of a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and on the other hand, whereas we see the, the north, in particular, the, you know, outside of the communities, we see that as the great wilderness, which is, of course, going back to where we first started, that's what, that's what drew me up there. I wanted to go on a canoe trip in this incredible wilderness. Uh, that's how we Southerners perceive the North, right? Uh, for Inuit, they, they kind of laugh at that perspective because to them, it's, there's no place you could be more comfortable than being out on the land. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it, it's, it's a rich place with lots to eat. It's very comfortable. You, uh, you can drink the water anywhere. Uh-huh. Uh you know, the, the food supply is generous, generous for the most part. And uh, why why would you be uh, why would you be unhappy to be out there? Yeah. It's just home. <laughs> on a, on a political level, uh, David, um, what did the creation of Nunavut? What has that meant to, to 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 not just the Inuit but people in the north? Well, in, in Nunavut, in, which is kind of the fo- my focus, it has been the focus of my work, um, the, the creation of Nunavut was, I'm trying to find the right words, sorry. It, 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 it allowed the Inuit to feel that they were uh, masters in their own house. I mean, mm. By dint of being a majority population, uh, they they have de facto self government. It is it's public government. I mean, when I lived there, I could run for office and I voted in the, in the territorial election. Uh-huh. So it's 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 not uh, it's not a racist government. You know, there's no there's there's no prescription that only anybody can can uh, be in government. However, since they're between eighty and eighty five percent of the population, yeah. In, uh, in all practical terms, they they have control over the government. So that's that, that's a very positive feeling mm-hmm. for the And they're in effect the only uh, indigenous group in Canada that that have that that have self government to that extent. Uh, that's not to say that all problems are solved. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's it's a it's still a struggle. Meet the, uh, the social and economic and cultural needs of, of the people. Mm-hmm, 
when uh, uh, I hate to use the word normal, but when travel is is more or less back to to what it was before, is is going to the north something that you'd advise? Say the the um, uh, uh, the the uh, tourists from the south to 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 do. I mean, it it seems like. Um, It'd be fun and exciting, but I, I think there's a, there's a level of response after reading your book, a level of responsibility that one has to have in, in their life to before going up there. I would think. Well, if you have, if one has the opportunity to see this part of Canada as a Canadian, I think it's uh, it's it's well worth the time and expense and effort. Uh, just a wonderful part of, of our country, and you will be welcomed. Mm. There's no there's no issue there. Uh, of course, it's not inexpensive to, to go to the north. Just the flight alone is, is a lot of money, oh. and you can fly around the world for less than it costs to go to the high Arctic. Um, but I would certainly advise people who who are intrigued and want to see more of their own country to. To do so, uh, there are ways to do it, and it, it's it's more difficult to be an independent traveler in the north. Mm-hmm. Where, but there are uh, group tours and, and that sort of thing, which uh, would facilitate the introduction to uh, to various uh, kind of you know, cultural aspects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, I. Um I, I, our time has just whizzed by. I, I, you know, I, I just noticed uh, looking at the clock here. I, I've kept you longer than I said I would, but I could talk all day with. I could talk all day with you about about yeah, you and about th- this book. Um, I, I so enjoyed it, and um, it, it's not a place um, that I thought of traveling to heretofore. Um, I, I'm not sure if I, w- I would still because I think you evoked so much of it for, for me as I was reading it that um, um, but but you, you are right as you just said that that it, it is if, if one has the opportunity to do so to, to take it to do it um, what 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 sort of writing are you doing now well uh, I have a number of uh, of short pieces uh, for various publications that are spinning out of of this uh, book project, uh-huh. as often happens. Um, but I'm not in a position to talk about sure. Uh, sure. What, what will be the next major project. I just don't know. Yeah, and you have uh, you, you don't have a, a, another book, say that you're working on. I, not at the moment, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for, for taking the time to chat. I, I so enjoyed our conversation today, David. Uh, continue good luck with, with this book and and, um, and everything else. Well, Joe, uh, thanks very much for that and for your attention to the book. I, I appreciate your kind comments indeed. The book is called The Ancestors Are Happy True Tales of the Arctic. It is published by Crossfield. David Pelly, its author, joined me on the line from Val-de-Mont, Quebec in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plantum.